Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr and you are listening to episode 202 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast, the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning into this episode and I hope you enjoy it. So if you're a regular listener or you follow me on Instagram where you can find me at We Look Sideways, you'll know I've just been in California for a week visiting my friends over at Patagonia in Ventura as well as catching up with some other pals in LA. And it was a proper laugh, hectic, and not just because I was there during the worst weather. Southern California, and particularly LA, had experienced in a decade, which is quite something to see. No, it was hectic because I forgot all about jet lag. Um, So was thrust right into two days of Patagonia HQ immersion, where I did about six interviews while being whacked around the head soundly with the jet lag stick. And I also had a bit of a cold, which I think you're going to hear on this conversation. Boy, it was all good. I mean, it beats having a proper job, right? And it was fascinating having a good period of time to get under the Patagonia hood, as they say, on the other side of the pond and chat to luminaries such as Ryan Gellert, Jenna Johnson about the new direction of the company. And as you'll also hear, which is what this episode is about, I also got to catch up with a very old and dear friend of mine, Alex Weller, to record this episode. Now, I go way, way back with Alex, and we've been doing a lot of work together over the last sort of three to four years. He recently moved over to Ventura to take up a very exciting new role at Patagonia, which is something we discussed. Um, so it's brilliant to see him. I stayed with Alex and his beautiful young family in Santa Barbara. Um, thanks Alice and Alex for the hospitality there and once again it was brilliant to be reminded of the simple generous pleasures of friendship and hospitality when in a strange land we had a really good time we had some dinner we reminisced went right back into our friendship we worked out we first met back in 1999 when Alex came to stay with me in Maribel when we were proper young green idiots and then the next day we got up early I had a really fun surf at Sea Street, which is noteworthy because all the locals were like, I was a bit shit that, and I literally got the best wave I've had in about a year there, um, which um, I think says something about my standard of surfing and the standard of surf where I live. But yeah, really enjoyed that surf with Alex at Sea Street, and then we went and recorded this episode. Um, and as you can hear, we are squarely in lifer territory. I think I've just, I know, soundly I said earlier, not squarely squarely in classic life of territory and the story of how Alex made the trip from uh, London skate rat to his current position I mean I think his job is basically head of all things creative at Patagonia is a really good one Um, I loved recording this Alex did that classic thing that I get a lot from people especially friends when I ask him to be on the podcast Um, they were like oh god you don't want to get me on do you you know you have all these famous people on um, but you know, over the years, I've learned to completely trust my instincts about what makes a good conversation and story. And I thought, well, you know, people are going to get a lot out of Alex's tale. And, um, I'm glad we did it because it's great. We were a little bit on the clock cause I had to get to LA and Alex had some work to crack on with, but I think we did pack a lot in. So here's me and Alex. I'll be back at the end for housekeeping corner, but enjoy this one. Nice one. Right, what's happening? All right, <laughs> <laughs> you've suddenly got all coy. Oh yeah, yeah. How's your feet? Warming up. 
Yeah, yeah, well, that was, was pretty, chilly. It was pretty cold, that was it. Um, yeah, I mean, the water's, the water's been cold since like November, right? Um, and I haven't been wearing booties, but I felt pretty bad actually today putting on my booties, and you didn't have any. <laughs> I mean, that like I said, I've come from, as you know, five mil full regalia. So surfing in a, effectively like a three-two, that 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 suit I'm wearing, isn't it? And no boots was joyous yeah and super fun little waves i I think i've just become spoiled you would get quite spoiled surfing that three times a week yeah even though today like gray sky raining yeah bit of wind felt quite northern europe it's funny for california the reaction is is funny to this weather i've got to say as a as a as a euro because i mean this is just the most average sort of storm isn't it <laughs> when you're british <laughs> or northern, northern european yeah i mean it, it and ev- i mean it ev- literally it's the talk of the town it's like everyone's like that oh, it's oh, not sunny and warm oh my god like it's there's there's some wind and rain you know yeah i kind of thought everyone was taking the piss the other day when they were you know everyone was like really wrapping up warm and i was like oh well i i did the class i was wearing a t-shirt wasn't i when you picked me up <laughs> <laughs> you're bold <laughs> i was wearing my t-shirt and sandals yeah yeah but it's the I think people here also like. There's a couple of weeks a year where they have the opportunity to wear all the, the, gear. the really warm gear that we make. Yeah, yeah. And right. so it's like everyone's walking around in like grade seven puffy jackets. Yeah. And when it's like that, I fi- mean, basically fifteen degrees. That's that's the that's the appeal, though, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's nice. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. so you yeah. you the surfing then because we you know we were talking earlier like last time we surfed we worked out it was probably four and a bit years ago in nuking you weren't really surfing were you? and you're also a bit you're you're a little bit sniffy if i remember rightly you're a bit like what, oh. about surfing yeah you're a little bit like oh, you know i'm not that bothered but you you i mean you shredding for a start and obviously like into it yeah i'm super into it okay I, I always knew that um i probably would be but never really had the opportunity to be living in london and well you know like, and then, well, it's hard, and then Amsterdam, and then Amsterdam, yeah, which is even less accessible. I mean, there's yeah. the, is there waves on the there, there are waves on the North, North sea. sea, yeah, they're pretty shit. Is it um, kind of akin to you know Channel British surfing? Yeah, so enough to sustain a scene and a pretty solid scene, but yeah. it's like North Sea winds well mainly, and right? It's, um, so it's and similar thing to what I surf, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, never like appealing enough to put any time and effort into it. Yeah, but yeah. Moving here, it's like okay, probably the only time in my life I'm going to get yeah. to live. I'm, Next to pretty consistent waves. I'm jealous. <laughs> I've got to say, after that, that's the best wave I've got in. Like, I can't even remember. Like that, you know, you looking good out there. And everyone, and, and we got out, and that guy was like, "Yeah, that's pretty shit." <laughs> the guy, in the chatty guy in the car park. I was like, "That, no, I'm not going to call that shit." Really. Yeah, he wouldn't let us go. That guy. No, he was just on the chat. Hey, you once he got- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, how are you uh, finding it, man? Like, you're nine months in, new job. Tell, yeah. tell me what the job is then. Um, I run creative at Pat- Patagonia. Yeah, pa- I said that with a D. Patagonia. Pat- Pat- Patagonia. Yeah, your, your transatlantic accent um, is you're yeah. holding out. You're not Jeff Rowley just yet. Yeah, yeah. Or Brian Sumner. Yeah, my wife gives me gives me grief, although she's the same. It's really hard not to. At some point, it feels pointless to keep like holding on to your T's yeah, and well, so forth. Cause it, it's those particular speech patterns that go, isn't it? Yeah, you know, which you see, in the, and that, I think that's where that sort of transatlanticy thing comes from, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, you're you're still you're still on the right side of it. Yeah, so now I can say I'm head of creative at Patagonia. Patagonia, <laughs> yeah, um, so yeah, that's what that's what I do. So um, um, we have an 
an in, like an internal creative agency here, yeah. um, which is film and graphic design, photo, um, editorial. So we have a writing team, a copy team as well, books. Um, so all of the stuff, the team that makes all of the things that you would see out there from us, films, books, <coughs> all of the storytelling, the books, um, all of the product marketing and creative around that, anything on our website, everything, really. All, yeah. the, all the stuff that um, that you would see. Yeah. I mean... That's quite a big gig. <laughs> that's uh, that's like how your team is like 120. Did you say it's around that number? Yeah, including yeah, including a few contract sort of contractors that are in there. But they, yeah, there's a yeah, it's like a large advertising agency, yeah. pretty much in house, um, in house. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. so we are, um, yeah, between 100 and 120. Fluctuates a little bit. Um, very very talented people incredible resource to have inside a company it's amazing yeah yeah so how, how are you finding it it's really good yeah it's really good um i mean obviously i worked for the company for a while yeah and i've worked with a lot of the people here for a while so it wasn't just like coming in cold to a new place in a new environment um, um but being here at global headquarters is is certainly different than it was back in europe yeah um different kind of job um, and I was doing marketing before, and I'm now running a creative team. So that's a you know a late career pivot, as they say. Yeah, um, and they do say they do say they do they say, do that. say. Yeah, I've been known to say that as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to avoid saying it again. Um, <laughs> the alarm, yeah, the alarm just went off. The pivot alarm. Yeah, um, it's been great. I've really, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, the main thing is the family settled in well really quick. Yeah, um, and that was that. You know, the big nerves when you move from to America. You know. And also from a distance, it's really, it took a long time to come here. So from like knowing that I had the job to, to being here with visas and everything, it took about a year. And during that whole period of time, there was like Roe v. Wade and yeah. a bunch of mass shootings. And I, you're like, oh man, like, um, are we doing the right thing? You know, like, are we, are we going from this very um, sort of safe, high functioning um, state which is the netherlands yeah to like something that's like different and it and that was a bit nerve-wracking it is a thing that i think really it was yeah it like, was the biggest deal honestly i, I think remember, for us i remember coming on that trip we did for california and doing the alcatraz swim oh yeah that, that yeah, was yeah. telling you about anyway and everyone was going you're not worried about sharks i was like i'm actually more worried about getting shot <laughs> like which is yeah. which is statistically more much more likely yeah you know and i think you know I've talked about this before on the podcast and it's, it's, you know, when you travel a lot, you realize it, that what you see on TV and the place that you go and visit are obviously like very, very different, you know, the, the absolutely. So, yeah. so when you come to the States, like, and you know, it's, I, I love coming to the States. Like it's, it's brilliant. Like everyone's treats you really well, like culturally, you know, all, obvious stuff, but then these things are there yeah. and they are real. I mean, California is a, a bit of a bubble and this part of California certainly is. Um, and uh, yeah, I think what we found when we came here is, to, as you said, people were so incredibly welcoming, and um, the lifestyle is great. The weather's fantastic. Um, uh, the community here at Patagonia, Patagonia, um, is um, really welcoming. Really good bunch of people. Lots of like-minded people. Yeah. So like the, the sort of settling in felt really natural and quite quick. Yeah. Um, and like I say, the you know, kids just like slotted straight into school and. Yeah, it's a nice setup you've got over there, Santa Barbara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like it up there. Yeah, it's nice. I was definitely like, wow, this is 
can see why you're into it for yeah. sure yeah yeah it's it's great you know but w- when i arrived it was you know straight in you know work wise it was quite close to we arrived in july and we made the change of ownership patagonia change of ownership announcement <clears throat> on the 14th of september and i was pretty heavily involved in that in, um, in, in the kind of comms and marketing in the comms side and the creative of it. side of it yes yeah. so, so when did you find out about that in may Okay, so in you, May of last year. So you you were one of the people that kind of knew about it ahead of time because it was quite closely guarded internally, right? Is that- it was, yeah. It was pretty. Um, it was a pretty tight group, and I mean, not for the sake of keeping secrets, yeah. but I, really more. Um, um, I think we really wanted to make an an impact and a really positive impact, yeah, um, and have that story lined up so that it was really clear what it meant for employees, rather than it go through that you know, just kind of find its way out um, through the grapevine as these things tend to do. I mean, as a company, we're not that secretive. I mean, we're not the kind of company that if we've got a big marketing campaign, we're keeping it under lock and key and nobody can see things and so forth. It's usually pretty yeah. pretty open in, in that regard. Um, but it was a very conscious decision to keep it pretty pretty tight on that announcement, which I think worked, honestly. I mean, it was... It was a really powerful, powerful moment for the company culture. Yeah. So how was that for you? Because I think one of the things I've kind of clocked spending a few days here is that that sense of the Chouinards dropping bombs is is real. I mean, I remember speaking to you a few years ago, actually, when the status of the business got changed, like the mission statement yeah. got changed to like we're in business to save the home planet. And it kind of correct me if I'm wrong but it was quite reminiscent of that in, in the way it was just like we're just doing this now like work it out you know yeah was it was it kind of like that with this situation from a comms point of view because I chatted to Ryan the other day and he was talking about very loosely the the kind of top top end process mm-hmm. like right we want to do this you need to work that out and he was explaining like you know the, the process of like you know CEO whatever whatever his official title is okay right well what does that mean yeah. <laughs> like how are we going to do that but was it similar on the comms and, and market level um yeah i mean the the change of company ownership it's kind of interesting when we talk about it because it doesn't really have like that moment in time doesn't really have a name like we don't sort of, the mean, announcement the, I annou- keep, I yeah, keep the announcement it, whatever know. um oh yeah i've noticed september 14th is it you've nine yeah 19 14 yeah. yeah september 14th um yeah that was the day um and i think um it was quite different from the 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 change in mission statement when we changed the mission statement to we're in business to save our home planet um i think that was that was Yvonne and the family the then ownership of the company um sort of just moving the horizon line further out like, yeah and this is i think what what the family have always done incredibly well is you know continue to create these very um sort of aspirational sort of objectives horizon lines for like okay we're here but actually really where we need to be is is here yeah and working out how to get there is this is the work of all the people at the company yeah um, i mean you said something quite interesting about that yesterday like that about him that that's kind of what he does like he's almost like you know ultimate tie kicker isn't he really you know he's like that's what that's the impression that i get that he's he's just it's it, he just goes around challenging. Yeah, I mean, I would say, and you know, and I, I, I don't work closely with Yvonne. I haven't worked closely with Yvonne, but he is an innovator. Yeah, and that innovator mindset um, is, you know, is 
always kind of challenging and progressing the company. I mean, he's a man who is now in in his 80s, um, but continues to even, and, and he's no longer the owner of the company. Yeah, um, but still very much involved in the company at the board level, um, and yeah, continues to challenge and to push. Yeah, um, and to. Um, uh, you know, I think all the you know, keep all the different parts of the company on its toes. Yeah, um, and it works well. Yeah, which as a, somebody that's working like the creative field of this, presumably is one of the things that makes the job challenging and really satisfying. Yeah, y- yeah, for sure. Um, storytelling, marketing, whatever you want to call it, has it, it, it's always been an important part of how the company shows up in the world i think it's always known and been deeply aware that um whether it be through photography and words in the original you know chenard catalogues back in the 19 you know late 60s early 70s um all the way through to the feature films that we make now like the the image of the company sits alongside the purpose of the company and these two things show up in the world at the same time and so um it's really important. It's you know, it's 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 important to the owners. They're deeply or the founders, um, they're deeply engaged in that in that work. Yeah. Um, not in the making of it, um, um, but they 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 have a they have a point of view for sure. Yeah. So it's. I mean, we, did you feel out of your comfort zone when you took this job? Um. I knew I, I knew it would be I knew it would be a challenge, but I was really I was really up for it to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, yeah. I was running marketing in Europe for about seven years yeah. um, for Patagonia before uh, before being offered the job t- to come over here, um, and so I was I was certainly ready for a new challenge. Um, and I think it, if it had have been a straight marketing to marketing sort of step up, region to global. Um, that would have maybe been more comfortable in a way. Yeah. But I, li- I, I liked that. I liked the idea of that. I liked the idea of sort of challenging myself to do something new. And, um, and the process has been, has actually been a little bit more about learning from the people that I work with. I'm really fortunate that I, you know, um, my team, the crew that kind of helped me run the creative department in Patagonia, um, are just incredible incredibly smart incredibly talented folks whose work i trust yeah um, you get that you, re- you really get that sense i've had hanging out here the last couple of days i've had that this is the stephen bartlett alarm um you know if you if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room kind of thing because there's a lot of very very bright people there and it it, it it is pretty palpable you know that so I imagine that makes it quite an invigorating place to work as well, really, especially when you, you know, when you're coming at it, like new job, like say new culture, yeah, massive challenge, like massive responsibility as well. Like, yeah. let's be honest, it's, it, it comes with that, what you're doing now. I imagine that's, you know, part of the appeal, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I think we were just chatting about this last night you know, over dinner. Um, the, um, the response, I guess the responsibility of sort of leading a group of people is one thing, um, but being part of and around a group of incredibly smart, incredibly driven people is, um, yeah, it's it's invigorating. 
it's a responsibility um and i really enjoy it yeah i love it you want and you want people to tell you don't you like that's one of the things i really enjoy about kind of you know leading people if you like or having people that you work with when you get people that especially younger people that that are like no that's wrong you know we need to do it a different way like uh, you know whenever i hear that i'm like yeah yeah (laughs) give me more of that yeah absolutely that's what i want you know i want i want to hear that like you know because that feels like where you get the the good stuff really yeah so there's a lot of your role kind of facilitating that then like with this big group that you've got it is creating the environment where people can you know because like creating a good creative environment is not that easy is it really and especially when everyone's really busy i mean yeah you know creating the conditions for a say vibrant creative culture yeah you know where everyone feels inspired and you know able to do really strong creative work um yeah um that's one that's certainly one aspect of it um i think the other aspect because the way that we're you know we're set up a little bit differently i suppose to other marketing departments in that we don't really have a marketing department we've got these three teams that work together creative which is my lot um, and then a brand strategy team yeah. and a digital team. And so a lot of what I'm doing actually is collaborating and partnering with those the leaders of those other two groups right? Um, to, um, yeah, to organize and bring all the stuff that we make into the world um, and also to work with our partners in different parts of the company, yeah. the business units, like you met with Christo the other day who leads, yeah. the, who leads the Alpine business unit. So we're partnering really closely with those teams to make sure that all of the you know the the product stories for Alpine are on point for them with yeah. the Enviro team with the folks in policy and advocacy which is the you know the group that are the I guess the kind of mouth mouthpiece of PR yeah. aspect of the company as well Corley who you met um, so yeah it's a really um, like the company itself is quite is this quite sort of complex tapestry and it's pretty tightly woven it works well yeah um but understanding coming here and working out like how to plug all those things together um, and how to make sure that this team, the creative team, can serve all of those different needs in the company. That's been, a, um, um, that's been super interesting. There wasn't somebody doing this role before. So like yeah, work, it's, work, new role, yeah, it's a it? new role, right? Yeah. So working all of that out, it's been, it's been cool. It's been really, really rewarding. Yeah. yeah. I was really struck when we were having that chat the other night because we kind of you know we go back a long way we remembered you know we we were we were giving it the old you know a couple of pints it was nice it was good it's good having a reminisce and like you know we were like yeah fuck we met in like 99 you know we worked out you came to stay with me and chris and maribel and you know we were sort of talking about all that and we were kind of talking about the way that we both got into this sort of game weren't we as well and we were kind of reminiscing about the late 90s early 2000s chaos really you know and what one of the things that struck me was your memory of even then being the person that had the organizational kind of nous if you like you know you 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 would even then because you first see so you're a skater that was like your way in you know you're a really yeah. good skater like strong grew up skateboarding like part of that's part of the scene i mean maybe talk a little bit about that like you're from east london right so you like uh, yeah it, presume you got into like late 80s got into skateboarding in 1988 um yeah, grew up in a place called Wanstead in northeast London. Yeah. Pretty generic 
suburb of East London, to be honest. Um, but there was a pretty vibrant skate scene, which I think probably like most skate scenes in the UK was turbocharged off the back of Back to the Future. Yeah. Which is like, what was that, like 1986 or something? Um, I think it's so eight, 85, isn't it? Yeah. 85. Yeah, so that was like, 88 was when I got, like got involved and started skating got skateboard for christmas and um yeah and it was a cool little scene most of the guys that i started skateboarding with then i'm still mates with now you know, yeah i was 11 and you used to organize stuff like from quite an early age right you you had jams that you organized am i right like you that were- was a bit yeah that was a bit later on i mean in the, in the early days we were just sort of you know building mini ramps and yeah, sort of on fly-offs and like dragging them around and yeah. like pretending that we were in bones brigade videos and stuff <laughs> <laughs> as you do all that all of that and yeah. um yeah so skateboarding yeah skateboarding was definitely um it's definitely been the sort of common thread if yeah. you like through um through everything like all the way into like into starting careers i went you know by the time i'd um finished university and um headed back to london not really knowing what i wanted to do to be honest um a friend put me in touch with um a little youth marketing agency that was just starting up called third planet in london and they didn't have any employees at, the, at that point. They needed an intern just to do like dog's body work. Right. And I was working for Carphone Warehouse at the time in the, the heady, heady early days of uh, uh, the mobile phone industry. <laughs> so when's this, like 96? A bit later, 98. Right. 98. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I finished university in 97, so this was like 98. And this is after you'd done your California interlude, because you, you were saying you did the sort of YMCA thing. Spent and- a year here. Yeah. Spent a year here in between A levels and and uni, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're back in London, kind of kicking about. Back in London, trying to work out what to do, um, and this thing popped up, and um, yeah, it was a little agency run by a guy called Jeff Glendenning and two other guys, Mark friend, Wood, very Mark. much friend of the show, very <laughs> much an old friend of the show. Yeah, one yeah. of the dot, one of the dots to connect. Yeah. Um, and um yeah that, i mean they were definitely onto something at that period of time as a few other people were not many i think which was that well i put phil in glenn and uh, glenn jeff even jeff's camp you know like phil we again we were talking earlier we were talking about the there was a few people that that kind of got it quite early yeah yeah definitely i'd say christian Christian was in there. Phil Young was Chris in there. Chris Moran, definitely. Chris Moran. Um, Jeff Boardman, yeah. um, who ended up setting up that thing, Clown Scables. But he had a couple of agencies in the early days. So there was a there was a group of people that were sort of the, like, I mean... Hustlers, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, and then I mean, it was like youth culture. I mean, they called them like shit, youth culture bit agencies. Bit of a phrase for it. But, you know, like working out, like, there was there was like well not only money to be made but also even then like were pretty protective of of it all you know like like because that was the thing wasn't it It was it was a definite land grab back then you know there was brands coming in there was yeah because there was money kicking about there was loads of money kicking about and when i look back i see like the stuff that you know that we would say now about our careers i think that like there's a strong element of like I guess you could call it gatekeeping, but equally you could call it guardianship. You know, like this idea that these things are worth nurturing and protecting is a th- is definitely a thread, like through through your work. And there through- is, there is, it's a, it's a fine line, you know. I, you know, and I even felt it at the time, which was like 
am I selling out the thing that I'm, I love or am I like protecting it? And you, and you probably justified it like I did, like, well, it's better that I do it's it. It's better that I do it than somebody yeah. else. And it's also a load of fun. I mean, I'm getting paid basically to put on skateboarding events and yeah. like to, you know, you've got brands Plot like... Parties. Back, <laughs> yeah, like back then it was like, we're doing a lot of video game stuff, but there was like brands like Olympus Cameras. I was chatting to you about, you know, Olympus Cameras getting involved with the early looking sideways events. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, video games companies sponsoring skate parks. Um, but there was also this kind of like f- folding in of all of these different cultures that didn't naturally sit together. You know, breakdancing, graffiti, BMX, skateboarding. It was all sort of like mashed up as this one thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, which like, you know, I was like, at the time, as as we all were, like the one of the things that you can do is make sure that, in the case of skateboarding anyway, that it's going to be represented well yeah. in these situations and like it's it's not going to be shown up it's not going to you know and that, um, and that was a real thing and and i think i think we were quite lucky really in a way that those role models that we're talking about that we had people like jeff people like phil people like christian chris especially in my case like that that was definitely a thing like there yeah. was there was that, that they were like guardians in the, in the best sense of the word and also entrepreneurs and you know and and we're having a really good laugh and they were and i think the other thing <laughs> the other and thing it lo- it was, and it looked fun and i was in my case i was like i want a bit of that it, it was it was it was a lot of fun and um um and it was also work you know so you were learning stuff you were you know learning how to do marketing how i mean in my case then working with brands um, and a lot of the people that were representing these brands really knew absolutely nothing about yeah. the cultures that they were trying to engage with. So they were hyper dependent on you. So there's me. I mean, that's the you, cell of ACM, even right. now, you know. <clears throat> You're sitting there as a 22 year old in a room with, you know, a bunch of marketing directors from Coca Cola or whatever, yeah. uh, Orange mobile phones, like you name it. Yeah. <clears throat> and you're giving them advice. Um, and I think on the other end as well, something that was positive about what was happening then is that certainly in the in the british scene all of the you know sponsored we call them pros but they weren't really pros but you know like sponsored the semi-pros up, semi-pro skateboarders <laughs> snowboarders whatever they didn't have any money they weren't getting money from their sponsors they were mainly just getting you know shoes or yeah. boards hardware whatever and this was a, this was revenue this was income for these guys if you were setting up events or you know involving them in photo shoots or whatever it might be you could pay them real money and yeah. people could actually like you know make a half decent living off doing this kind of corporate yeah work um and do it in a way that they didn't feel they were showing themselves up yeah you know? yeah and that was and that was yeah i mean i felt the same thing you know and, and i and I mean, back then, personally, I was pretty green, really. I was definitely, like, didn't... Because the other thing that struck me, and this is to bring back to the question I kind of half-asked you about 10 minutes ago, was, like, when when we were talking about this the other night, you were, you were a bit like, yeah, actually, I was the organised one. <laughs> now that I look back, you know, like, you... That was obviously, like, a bit of a thread. Like, and we were almost talking about it as well in terms of... You, like, it was chaotic and and, like you obviously had those attributes really where you were able to sort of bring a sort of veneer of professionalism to it really just just on like not planned or just a bit like oh actually if i'm going to do this i'm going to i'm going to try and do it to the to to the best of my professional ability which again at the time wasn't that common (laughs) i don't think i mean what i 
I, what I probably worked out, I was at Third Planet probably for four or five years, but it didn't take me long to work out that most of the clients that we were working with just needed reassurance a lot of the time that like what they were doing was being organized and so <laughs> like what <laughs> sounds really like straightforward now but like making a presentation for them yeah that told them what we were going to do <laughs> you know yeah yeah in and then doing a report after we'd done it like yeah. pretty simple stuff yeah you know but like but just kind of working that out on the fly rather than uh sort of being told that's the way the way to do it and 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 the owners of the company uh, jeff and mark and danny were amazing but they're all they're all just they're all creatives yeah trying to work out how to run a basically like a marketing branding agency but they, yeah. weren't, they didn't really know how to do it i didn't really know how to do it well you, that stuff like the client management stuff you know yeah i mean you that was the stuff we were all sort of learning on the job yeah 100 percent. you know yeah. and because like like we I think the phrase we used was like it was it was a land grab really you know and it was kind of there was money around it was like kind of chaos and yeah I think but it wasn't it wasn't amazing that period of time like we based like me and the in the end like I ended up like pulling in a bunch of mates who were also skateboarders and graphic designers and so forth yeah um, some of the folks you would know like Matt Naylor and matt kendall we were talking about yeah the other yeah, night yeah. And which i didn't even realize i mean i don't know yeah. matt kendall super well but tim walker yeah um who are all still really great friends of mine but they like we basically just had the keys to the car yeah like we had this agency yeah, and yeah. all this resource and we just kind of did what we wanted well then and you it was to, amazing well then you and also then so then you moved to xbox right after that i did yeah yeah, yeah. well after actually i didn't i did a season <laughs> i worked i worked at the planet for four years and then Oh, this is your Morzine season. Yeah, the agency, yeah. like the things at the agency, like Jeff left, agency started to like hit the rocks a little bit, I think. Um, and Matt Naylor, who was one of the designers there and still a really good mate of mine, he was like, ah, I'm out. I'm going right. to go and do a season. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that too. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was going to just go and crash at Munson, Munson and Kenzie's place in Morzine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll come along. So we did that and then... Yeah, just did a did, did a season in Morzine, career break at yeah. 26, 26 years old, career yeah. break. Because you found snowboarding pretty randomly, like everyone else, it was all like dry, slow French Alps, wasn't it? But you sort of got into it when you were in California, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I ended up hanging it, yeah. out with like fucking Kurt Wastel, like. Yeah. So, how, so remind me how that came about. Yeah, man, which like definitely like jumping around the, um, the, the timeline. Um, I, so yeah, when I finished my A-levels, um, well, I suppose like anyone who grows up skateboarding, just going to California and living in California is like the dream thing. Yeah. And so my friend John Robinson, who I grew up with in, in Wanstead in East London, um, who's still like my closest, oldest mate. We were chatting about him. He's an airline pilot now. Yeah. He was also... Love that. Yeah. And he was also, an, a, you know, one of those sponsored skateboarders in the yeah. in the 90s, skate for vans and unibomberies. But I love the fact you said he was like, I'm going to be a sponsored skateboarder and a pilot <laughs> and he was <laughs> and he's, both and he's done both <laughs> and he's done both so hats off to that yeah um so yeah we were we, we were kind of hatching a plan to to do that from when we were like 16 i think like we kind of knew that we were going to go try and get that thing done so yeah. scraped together some money f- flew out um to california um john was up in a place called santa rosa at the time learning to fly learning to get his his um, his pilot's license then 
um, and we hung out there for a little bit and then flew down to um, Simi Valley um, which is near here pretty close to here and ended up staying in like a skate house you know there with a bunch of people yeah and they all worked in this skate shop called Surfing West which was also a surf and snowboard shop and one of the Wastel brothers worked there and that's how we ended up connected with those guys and they were like oh we're gonna we're gonna go and do a season in Breckenridge you should come with us at which point I didn't I mean, we didn't really know how to snowboard or have yeah. any of the gear um so managed to like scrape it all together um, went out, lived with them in what was basically the solid house, that brand solid MFG, yeah, which was um, Kurt and Jeff Wastel and a few others. Um, and Andy Wastel, the other brother, was there. Van Wastel then was, he was just a little nipper. He was like, I don't know, he was like six or seven years old back then. Right. This is like, yeah, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. 1990, this is 1993. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was, that was the season we got into, I got into snowboarding. Yeah, it's just, like, like different, like, different route because i remember when we met which was in maribel that seemed quite exotic to me that story i remember you know that you'd actually been to california and like hung out with all these people that we were because by that point kurt was pretty well known wasn't he and obviously like yeah. an absolute fucking ripper so yeah yeah he's, he's still a ripper yeah he's well he's one of them isn't he? yeah you know yeah 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 i mean we are zipping about a bit but um yeah so zipping forward again after your season, you end up at Xbox, and that was the real sort of heyday. So this is when you like sponsoring like the big day out, like, and that's you know Microsoft money in this scene. I mean, I remember them days. That was <laughs> probably a bit not safe for work for yeah. this, but uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I had an, I had a I had a job when I got back from um from doing that season, which was an agency job, and they needed an, needed an account director for their Xbox gig right um and i did that for a short while um and then I, and then they asked me to come and work for them directly so went there and that was yeah that was so that was all of that stuff we were talking about their third planet days just like turbocharged with yeah. my, with sort like of prop, microsoft weight <laughs> yeah 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 when i think back to those i mean i remember that big day out that danny won we were talking about that i'm not going to tell the hamish duncan story on here but that was that year like 2003 and that was a massive do that was like yeah. you know that w- I mean I remember like Jean-Claude Killy being there like sort of doing the opening ceremony and stuff and like in the middle of the town and it was it was a massive thing I mean that event must have cost a lot of money you know and that was that was like Gumby's little fucking you know season Backyard, air jam like season air jam that had somehow got hooked up with Xbox um um I feel like it was the connection with Gumby was maybe through Ben Russo. Um, I don't know if you know him. Um, Not sure I do. Um, and his now wife, Michelle Russo, who works at Xbox. And so they started that whole sponsorship deal up. Um, but yes, we would um, we would truck, you know, big, you know, articulated lorries full of Xbox consoles and stages and all the lights and all the sound system and everything out from from the UK and like yeah. set this whole like festival up on the slope in Val d'Isere take over all these hotels fly a bunch of celebrities out like make a TV show with Ed Lee yeah yeah um, and um, oh man who was the director of those shows I can't remember his name now great guy anyway yeah um, and so that whole deal was like yeah we're doing like broadcast TV huge event like all this celebrity influencer stuff yeah, PR the whole jam, and um, 
yeah, and it was all all like Xbox Xbox marketing, basically Xbox funded, and um, yeah, it was that was probably the that was peak. I think yeah, for, you, for like UK action I'd, sports. I'd say that was peak. I'd say those years were like the definite peak. That was when there was a lot of massive brands. You know, I, I ended up working for like Motorola at the time with Phil. Like Nissan were knocking about. You know, there was there was just there was money around, wasn't there? It was excessive, honestly. Yeah, well, I was about to ask you, did that that must have had a shelf life for you, being in the eye of that storm? Definitely. You know, like a decade of that. Yeah. Were you a bit? Did you get a bit to the point where you? It were was like, kind of excessive. It was all a bit disposable in a way. I yeah. think. And I mean, I'm it's not, pretty, it's, it, what you just described is, is is quite different from what you're doing now. You yeah. Know? Yeah. One hundred. Yeah. Incredibly different in, in terms of the purpose of it. Though, I mean, you know. Yeah. And I also think you know, like the. Um, yeah, there was a ton of waste, <laughs> really, <laughs> honestly. Yeah, and when you were just describing, like, oh yeah, we would fill trucks and like, uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I was, I was, I was a bit like, yeah. yeah, that's that's of its time, yeah. isn't it? And I'm not even talking from like from an environmental perspective. Yeah, you could look at that now with like a 2022-2023 perspective and be like, oh, that you know that was um, environmental chaos, but that wasn't even a consideration in 2006 2005 2006 it wasn't even on it wasn't even the a agenda it wasn't even a conversation no but it was it, it was in, it was it, it was excessive it was cool and it was exciting and it was fun um but there was definitely you know certainly for me um i think through that time and we were doing all sorts of stuff music festival sponsorship sponsored you know we were sponsoring the world cup in munich in 2006 like that there was loads and it was of course really exciting and really fun but also you're you're really just um um creating all this kind of hype and energy around something that doesn't really have a point other than selling video games consoles that was it yeah you know and doing it through this sort of appropriation of culture which by that point i had become like legitimately uncomfortable with yeah you know yeah no that's why i asked the question really because obviously you're a you're a, you're a thinking person you know you're aware of these things and it, i i always kind of felt personally those jobs had a shelf life as well like you should only really do them for a, for a set period of time because they do end up and i would put like the editorial stuff that i was doing as well in, in that like I, I i sort of strongly felt like you should only really be able to do it until you're like, as soon as you're 30, you should be out, you know, like, because you, you, you kind of, you're jaded and, and you're, you're a bit old, really. Yeah, completely. And not really connected to the scene you're supposed to be representing. Yeah. Not, not in the most authentic way anyway. And, and that thing that you're talking about, like that kind of like, well, we're going to be, you know, that, that justification, well, the scene's getting rinsed, so we might as well do it. Yeah. I'm guessing that, became a bit more uncomfortable for you as it the longer it went on really the longer you were kind of doing this this sort of stuff that you're talking about you know? yeah yeah it did and yeah i made a really conscious decision to move on from that job um and went and worked for another agency for a while which was another good learning experience um and then moved across and to work for for nike converse in amsterdam and again, which is like really, I mean, really great work, really great people, really smart people, but still this sort of lingering um, feeling that all of these things that you've learned to be able to do, 
are being pointed towards a bunch of things that you no longer really care about and believe in. Yeah. You know, selling video games consoles, selling sneakers, and doing that by really kind of just by appropriating culture. And that was that was kind of a similar thing. I think Converse was doing some really, really interesting stuff. It was investing back into music. It was investing back into skateboarding. It was like try, we were trying to do things the right way there for sure. And I really, you know, I really enjoyed that. But I think the, um, like the clock was definitely ticking on that kind of work for me. Yeah. So is that about the point that you started working for these guys? Yeah. And was that a yeah, conscious? Was. was that that was a good fit then? By that point, one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, it was it was such an easy decision to come and come and work for Pat, Patagonia and lots of um, you know I you know I got s- some advice like oh you know they're a family run company you don't want to go and work for them it'll be it'll you know it'll be crazy and you know difficult um, but um, you know you know as well as I do if you've worked in marketing and you you're part of like the outdoor scene what patagonia means you know it kind of for me at least had this kind of mythical status um and there's just this sort of incredible level of curiosity about is is it really what it says it is you know is it yeah is it real is it real yeah you know is it real and also the fact that in 2000 and, um 2015 when i took the job like it's no it's a known brand in Europe but it wasn't really a big brand in Europe like no. it hadn't really taken off at that point and it's i think it was sort of occupied a couple of different spaces one there was this like kind of core outdoor scene the gear's good and if you're in the know like you know the product and you buy it yeah and then it was like a marketing case study you know like agencies would like present Patagonia as this like way of doing environmental marketing in this really purposeful way yeah and that's how i they, they were the, like the two ways that i knew about knew about it you know it's in the, like, the most common thing that we still get at acm is brands that when we're at early state especially startups it's still like you know so what do you want to get out of this like well we want to be the new patagonia like we still get that you know yeah. to the point that now when everyone says that i'm a bit like oh god <laughs> but like but it, yeah it, like that that is still very much a thing but like you say back then it was it was a bit less known wasn't it and also what's interesting for me as well is from being here um yeah it's getting quite warm in here isn't it we were freezing when when, when we came back we were both fucking freezing and now we're like siren hats and um one of the things I found quite interesting is like it was all quite internal by the sounds of it all the the activism stuff it wasn't it wasn't like it was all happening and it was quite cause based but it was very much based upon like there was no grand like we're going to become the you know the most influential outdoor brand around this topic that just clearly wasn't the thing you know it 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 was this issue is important to us so we'll we'll go all in on that and Corey like mutual friend that we've been hanging out with the last couple of days like he he put it down to like 2012 like he was like he said it was quite recent really that yeah. that it became actually the the outward thing that, that that the brand was known for and then and then now obviously moving into the 50 years this year moving forward that tv spot that you showed me like it's very overt now there's a there's a real like 
actually, yeah, that is who we are, and we're going to really own that yeah. kind of thing. But it's you take my point. It's 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 been quite a it's it's been a progression, that hasn't it? Yeah, it it has, and I think I think that change being much more public, more intentional about um, environmental activism, really, if you want to put it that simply, it's just down to urgency. Um, and I mean, urgency from the owners, the then owners, um, the founders of the company, who were just really turning up the dial on how do we use this company, the resources that it has, um, the voice that it has to impact the issues that we think are the most urgent and the most important yeah. in relation to the climate crisis, the environmental crisis. And it became very clear. I think there was a moment, and I, the film Damnation was a turning point yeah. for sure um and that's a film about dams and the negative impacts that they have on rivers and um all of the ecosystems that surround rivers um and really it was a you know a missive to you know let the rivers flow to take the dams out to bring back the the wild ecosystems and it really had this like hugely positive effect and there was for sure a light bulb moment yeah i think where and this is this is a few years before i i i joined that these stories these really powerful human truths told through narrative film can really move people towards action and i think in the first instance actually move people towards a level of sort of environmental awareness and awakening that hadn't hadn't really happened before it certainly in the outdoor industry you know the outdoor scene wasn't you know was not interested in protecting the places that we play. That just wasn't part of the conversation. No, and like you know, like as you were saying, even to the to the period that we're sort of reminiscing about, no, not way. even not a thing. Even, no not. one, when you were shipping a truck of Xboxes out to <laughs> no Valdezair, no one was sticking their hand up and going, "We probably shouldn't do it that." Seems a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> there yeah. was no protect our winters sort of rattling the cage no that no there there absolutely wasn't i mean i think that's the other thing there were no like within the communities themselves there were no you know groups ngos whatever you want to call it forming up at that time at least i don't think so maybe there were um, but it wasn't like but the, it wasn't part of it the, wasn't like the kind of uh, the leading voice of that debate no, that it is now no it definitely you know it definitely wasn't and so i think that you know realizing that storytelling could be such a critically important part of the environmental work of Patagonia yeah. that focusing first and foremost on this like large outdoor community, right. That, um, that the company serves through product to move that, that community towards environment, you know, deeper environmental awareness and ultimately action, like doing something about it. Like yeah. how do you get involved? How do you participate? And so the, the, you know, the steps forward, the kind of the ratcheting up, of that urgency and of that work has become really the central part of, you know, call it marketing, whatever. Yvonne calls it propaganda, <laughs> but you know, storytelling. Yeah. Um, that, um, yeah, it moved more and more towards the sort of the center of focus yeah. alongside product stuff. Of course, you know, we make, we make product, we make great product. We're proud of it. Um, and certainly when I joined the company in 2015, um there was already um you know that that momentum was already there it was already started um but in europe nothing had been done yet yeah none of that work had been done yet so one of the really exciting things that we were able to do coming in and 
sort of setting up a marketing function in Europe for the company was really start to piece together um, how are we going to do that here? Yeah. You know, how are we going to build a network of groups and NGOs, activists that we can support and fund? Um, and then how can we find winnable fights within which storytelling and marketing can be an important part of winning? Yeah. You know, um, and it, that is, that's that, I mean, that's rewarding work yeah well it sounds like it came at a good time for you personally like yeah. in, in 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 this sort of career path that we're talking about yeah you know yeah. so so was that 2015 right 2015 yeah and so you that for you personally that was becoming more and more of you, you were looking for a bit more purpose in the work you were doing yeah and i think that's kind of a common theme for like most of my peers honestly at that stage in our lives you've got kids yeah you know you're looking at the world a little bit differently um i certainly wasn't at that point in my mind like um an environmental activist um uh, I, i'm certainly tuning more into um my own purpose like what like if if i'm going to do just, stuff if just, i'm going to do work winced. like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still you know we're still english enough to to find that like a little bit cringe but i understand what you mean obviously but i think you know i you know i started working in the company one of the things that happened you turn up at patagonia you're kind of deep into this stuff you get a door a bunch of doors open into knowledge and information that you just didn't have i just didn't have access to before yeah right and so you're you're on this like really accelerated um environmental awakening that was what's happening to me yeah like much to the chagrin of my most of my friends to be honest with you because i just became like an absolute like zealot yeah like overnight pretty that much. guy that guy 100 <laughs> percent that guy i actually genuinely did i think alienate quite alienate might be too strong a word but i think um i just kind of like moved like in terms of that knowledge and that frustration that like i've got this knowledge now and i don't think other people have got this knowledge so i'm going to make sure they know what i know yeah and like every party like every dinner <laughs> you know yeah every christmas yeah i'm yeah. like that guy and um yeah I've, i think I, I think i really wound some people up in that um in those like early Patagonia days, yeah. yeah. Wow, well, you know, you 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 found your passion. I th- yeah, I mean, you know, what it's like you find something that you that you, it's new and you're learning, and you also have th- this. I mean, certainly, I mean, I you know, I think it's maybe it's a bit of a similar journey for you with the podcast because I've you know you've taken on a lot of these topics, yeah, and I think you have brought a lot of these topics into this community. Um in a really natural and super balanced way and you can see how positively people react to it you can see from the you know that your listeners that um you know people want to know and they want to work out how they can respond to that yeah but i've definitely also can be a bore about this with double or do you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. Uh, and i think you have to just work out how to pitch it don't you you know ultimately like to which has been another theme of this trip to be honest and one of the things that i've been quite interested in is and i use this word when i was chatting to helena is it like the helena barber yeah yeah she's great and i said to her you seem quite fatalistic you know really which is surprising and there's definitely uh an air of the time scale you know because if you look at the big c which we've talked about a lot 
and I've and that's been a big topic of this trip and one of the things I've noticed amongst the people that have seen the big C who are like really really into it we oh god we're on the clock here aren't we? we've got we're on the three minute warning um is that there's there's a real appetite for the change to happen like really quickly on that from the consumer level like everyone that sees it is like well fucking hell everyone's got to give up neoprene like now you know like what why why people why is this not happening how can people know about this and and that's quite a natural thing but here there's definitely an, like yeah it doesn't really work like that you know like the, you have to be realistic about the system that we're in and what's actually the reality of what's going on like the reality is stores have got inventory of neoprene for example the reality is that can punters have got garages full of neoprene you know and that is going to take a while so there's a real understanding of that prag- pragmatism like you know idealism sure but tempered with a very healthy streak of pragmatism which is i i guess i've been quite surprised by that really but i guess yeah. that comes from the experience of doing this for a long time Absolutely. And, and seeing that, you know, just because we've worked out how to do something a certain way, make wetsuits out of Ulex, make T-shirts and sweaters out of recycled cotton, um, organic cotton, recycled polyester, you know, taking PFCs out of our technical outerwear, you know, whatever those innovations look like. Yeah. Um, the fact that we've shown that it can be done, it can be done well, it can be done profitably um and you can build a great business by doing things the hard way the difficult way but the right way doesn't mean to say that other people are going to adopt it that other people are going to stop you know taking the shortcuts that they take in order to maximize yeah margin and 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 profit um and so there is absolutely a a, a realism a pragmatism yeah and i think you know it's clear to us it's certainly clear to me but i think it's clear to the company i think one of the best things that we can continue to do um, is show that this way of doing business can be done well. Yeah. That, you know, we are um, sort of a marker, if you like, that you don't have to compromise on environmental impact. You don't have to compromise on social impact. Yeah. In fact, you can absolutely double down on all of these things and still make great product um, and still be successful and still be profitable and still build this community of people that are inspired and motivated to yeah. you know to act on behalf of the planet um and none of that has to compromise business success um and i think the more that we can demonstrate that and the more that we can show that and to your point the more people that come to you and say we want to be the next patagonia i think i think that means we're doing doing the best part of our work yeah you know yeah 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 there we go how was that was that like the dentist um <laughs> it wasn't like the dentist yeah no, i was that was that was fun i feel like um um yeah we had some really lovely chats over the last couple of days this was, was just like another one so it's i enjoyed great. it yeah thanks for thanks for having me man it's been wicked yeah, yeah. nice one mate so there you go that was me and alex weller and i hope you enjoyed it so brilliant to see alex and his family and to see how well he's doing and like i said his story's great right um so if you're a mate or an acquaintance or, or somebody that I asked to come on the podcast, don't do that thing that everyone does, which is like, oh God, why are you getting me on? All I hear from listeners is that they enjoy the lesser known names more than the big names. Because I mean, you know, I've had a few big names that have been fucking dry as ditch water. So um, 
I'm really glad we did this. Thank you, Alex, for your brilliant hospitality while I was over and for making me feel so welcome and for a top chat. I'll see you when you're back over here in the summer. And like I say, thanks to Alex's family as well. So housekeeping corner. And yes, as I suggested at the top of the show, pretty hectic week that, like I say, I did have a cold, still just about got it. It's doing the rounds. Uh, and by the time I landed in LA, um, yeah, that was that was happening. But really interesting trip, especially interesting chatting to some of the Patagonia top brass and also thinking about how to put together an interesting show or set of shows about this trip and the whole Patagonia ownership announcement in general, which is really what I was over there looking into. And I should say, actually, good point to say this. I've been chatting to my friends at Patagonia Europe for the last few months about the future of Type 2, the show I've been doing for the last four years now where I explore issues of activism in our worlds um, and we've been discussing whether we should continue the format or evolve it into something new now at the moment it looks as though we are going to be retiring type 2 in its current format um, so I'll keep you posted on that if you've got any strong feelings about that because I know type 2 has a really loyal audience out there then by all means do please let me know in the comments section of this episode over on Substack um, so yeah interesting time at Patagonia I did discern some very clear themes that obviously run through the recent recent announcement and indeed through the company's entire history um i kind of had an inkling of what those themes might be and they became ever more apparent the more time i spent there and the more people that i spoke to so that was that was kind of cool because these themes obviously run through the company's entire history like when i was over there i had a really brilliant tour around the archive of patagonia um, with with um, Val and Terry. Val's been there since like 1972. She's in that really famous... Um, if you're listening, Val, hello, by the way, and thank you for that tour because it was really brilliant and I really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm also really intrigued by the fact that you've secretly been recording um, conversations with everybody at Patagonia for years, which is a veritable treasure trove. Um, and I would love to get my hands on that. But anyway, like I said, did this tour around the archive with Val and Terry, couple of Patagonia lifers. And these themes that I've discerned, pretty clear they've been um, running through the company's entire history. And that's something I would like to explore in this bit of work that I'm going to be doing off the back of that trip. Um, Also enjoyed being in the States for the first time in four years. Actually, that's not true. I went to Jackson Hole last year. God, I'm an idiot. Um, California for the first time in four years. After Ventura, I headed to LA. I stayed at Venice Beach. Big thanks to my pals at Visit California and LA Tourism for the hookup in Hotel Irwin on the seafront. Uh, And thanks to my friend Ewan Wallace, who's been on the podcast, who used to live in Venice and gave me some absolutely banging suggestions for the best coffee and food to eat. Um, Like I say, there was a massive storm when I was there. And I'm going to say it was like in the UK, we get like four or five storms a year that get a name. So it's like, uh, you know, Storm Elsa or whatever. And, and, it, and it's a bit hectic and some places get battered. That's kind of what they had over there. They've never had that before. I think they get it. Like they were all like, oh, this is the worst in 10 years. Um, I went to see Jamie Brissick for a brilliant night in Malibu. Um, we went to a fish, to, to a fish restaurant um, just off the, um, the Pacific Highway. We had fish taco and beers. Well, Jamie had wine, actually. Um, and when, when I got there, 
like the Uber driver was like, Jesus Christ, this weather. And I, and I was like, well, it's raining, you know? And, um, I said to Jamie, is this, is this real? And he's like, yeah, this is, this is for us. This is hectic. And also, as you pointed out, we don't have the infrastructure because I really wanted to go for a surf because the next day it looked like it was going to be half decent. Well, not for the locals again. They were all a bit like, oh my God, shame about how bad the surf is. And I was a bit like, you know, I've got the Shoreham filter. So I go places and everyone's going on about how crap it is. And I'm like, that would be the best day of the year where I live. So I really wanted to go in. And I said to Jamie, what do you reckon? And he was like, do not go in the water tomorrow. You know, we don't have the infrastructure. So all you're going to get is the runoff from the whole of LA going into the Pacific. And you're about to get on a flight to England. You know, what are you thinking? That was a compelling argument. So I didn't surf, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was it was great being there. It was great being in LA while, I mean, everyone was like, oh God, really sorry, you've not got sunshine and really good waves but i actually quite liked being there when there was this kind of blitz spirit thing going on i had this amazing room in the hotel Irwin where i had a view over like um down from malibu all the way across la the hollywood hills and everything and like topanga canyon and basically i could like watch this storm rolling in and watch it batter la which i found quite enjoyable really um so yeah, um, thanks to my pals Esme, Ben, Laura, Ruben and Indy for the hospitality. Thank you, Jamie Brissett. We really had a brilliant wide-ranging conversation, me and Jamie, about live podcasting and everything. We didn't record it because we 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 both do enough of that and we just wanted to have a bit of a catch-up. But it was bloody lovely um, and I felt really privileged to be having my very own private podcast slash friendship conversation with Jamie. So thanks, Jamie. And while I'm giving it the Oscar speech... This bit's good. Thank you to the random BA steward who tapped me on the shoulder on the flight back to London two hours in and upgraded me to business on the spot. I could have wept tears of gratitude and I wandered into business like Andy Dufresne when he finally calls out of that shit pipe into the rain at the end of the Shawshank Redemption. Truly sensational stuff. No idea why it happened. Everyone around me was really fucked off. But basically when I walked into business, they were like, there you go, you can have that bed and it was great um god knows i'm going to get on the next time um all right that's it for now i'm definitely waffling a final word on substack which i did mention earlier like i say if you've got any views on the episode if you've got any views on the news that i just dropped about potentially parking type two um hit me up um one of the great things about podcast is the fact it is a two-way conversation so you can hit me up on the comment threads um you can hit get me in this in the chat um, you can just start your own chat on the Substack app now and tag me in and I'll answer it. Um, and I think it's working really well. I'm getting right into the swing of it. The thrice weekly schedule is working out. So just to recap, 10 things on a Friday, episode on a Sunday, and then a piece of writing or an open thread on a Tuesday. If you're one of the many hundreds of people who signed up as a paid subscriber, um, I do want to hear from you. What do you want on the podcast? What would you, who would you like to hear from? Got any questions for me? Are the prizes working? How do you feel about perks such as the tickets for my forthcoming Chris Burkhard show in London in association with DB? Let me know um, so I can kind of keep making this work for everyone. And thanks for supporting me. Much appreciated. All right, that's it for this week. I'm back next week with the second half of my impromptu LA omnibus, a brilliant thought-provoking chat with legendary snowboarding photographer Stan Evans. Um, Stan, absolute legend kind of funny that we never met back in the day um because we've got a lot of friends in common 
and we worked out we've probably been in the same room a lot of times but yeah Stan absolute legend and not just for his snowboarding photography uh, we met at Stan's place in Inglewood in LA and we had a great afternoon together we did the episode we went for lunch and we had a really long sort of we recorded like an hour and a half of the podcast but really the conversation went on for about three or four hours talked about his career as a black snowboarding photographer the secret black history of snowboarding and plenty more illuminating and thought-provoking topics so that's dropping next week so there you go all right that's it nice one